Good evening. Welcome back. I'm going to begin tonight in an unusual way with a blank screen at first, and that's to be accompanied by a brief quiz. You don't have to answer out loud or write it down, maybe just in your mind. See if you know who I'm talking about. I'm going to describe a Bible character. This man wrote more of the Old Testament than any other writer. His name appears in the New Testament more often than any other Old Testament character. Something I just remembered in reading a book by Brother Sewell Hall the other day. There is a large statue of this man in the Library of Congress. And there are carvings representing him in the Supreme Court building. This man has a statue in the House of Representatives, which is in the center of 23, with all the others looking toward him. His life as a direct servant of God began when he was 80, and you heard earlier this evening the textual record of his intercessory prayer. Now, <clears throat> at this point, you're supposed to be hearing the Jeopardy music in your mind. But I think you already know we're talking about Moses. I want you to listen to what is said of this man near the end of Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. There has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power, and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. What an impressive commendation probably written by Joshua on the occasion of Moses' death. Well, this is a favorite passage of somebody here. So I've been asked to preach from this text this evening. And that means, as you already know, we really need to look through Deuteronomy 34 to have a good grasp of the contextual history of that passage in mind, and then later we will be taken to applications of this passage for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Now, there's a tone of disappointment right in the beginning of the chapter, because Moses gave his life to the task God assigned to take the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness to the place where they would enter the promised land. But Moses cannot enter. He is physically able from all we know. But something happened. And God at that event decreed a consequence. That while Moses could be forgiven of his sin, the consequence would still occur. 
Moses could not enter the land, he led the people to enter. And you heard some background about that in the reading from Darrell this evening. So we are here facing some disappointment in the tone of the text. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, I'm going to read the first eight verses. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. So it may be that the common reader of this portion of biblical history, the common reader's first impression might be, isn't that rather harsh? What was so bad that God wouldn't let this leader enter the land that he led the people to? We already know the history read earlier about why so many of the people couldn't enter. But turn with me back to Numbers Numbers chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 13, and that will supply the answer to the question the common reader confronts. We are in Numbers chapter 20, and I'm going to start at verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. 
And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarrel with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Two things to be noted here. Perhaps trivial to the first reader or the common reader, but significant to God and to God's people. Number one, Moses should have followed God's instructions with exacting devotion. And two, it wasn't Moses who provided the water, it was God, and to him the glory should have been given. And so God's decree, you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So, in Deuteronomy 34, in this narrative, Moses is soon to die. He's able to look at the promised land, but not enter. One can be forgiven of sin, but repentance and forgiveness does not terminate all the consequences. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to our text in Deuteronomy 34 and finish the chapter. I'm going to continue at verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. I said before, what a touching tribute and eloquent commendation of God's servant in the time of his faithfulness. Preserved in Scripture from God, perhaps at this point, spoken and written by Joshua, commending this man Moses. No prophet like him, and face to face with the Lord. That's about the episodes, like the burning bush and the mountain. It's not literal or physical, but close contact, relationship, awesome privilege enjoyed by Moses in his encounters with the Almighty. God enabled this man to perform signs and wonders as a part of his mission. In the land of Egypt, to the Pharaoh and to all his servants, massive 
demonstrations of God's power as a part of Moses' work of taking the people out. This is all about privilege. It is about Moses' faithfulness to God with the exceptions we've noted from Numbers. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. It is said here in Deuteronomy 34. That's how the book of Deuteronomy concludes. And this is a report of the death of Moses. Now, takeaways. What should this cause us to think about, to learn, and to apply in our lives today? Number one, privilege and blessing do not provide exemption from obedience to God. Privilege and blessing do not provide exemption from obedience to God. The great leaders whose stories are written in this book without exception were expected to obey God just like the people they led. Let me say that again. It applies not only to Moses. The great leaders whose stories are written in this book without exception were expected to obey God just like the people they led. It is vital for us to understand that. Those great men and women God used to lead enjoyed no exemption from duty to God. They were expected to obey God just like the people they led. Jesus, when he came, obeyed the law that he was under. The apostles were expected, the evangelists were expected, the inspired men who delivered the New Testament were expected, without exception, to obey the law they delivered that the people were under. Today, we need to hold teachers, preachers, elders, parents to the same standard they apply to the people they teach and lead. Moses was not afforded some exemption or liberty because of his position. He was not afforded some liberty from the law of God or from the penalty that God imposed that he was now suffering before his death. So I'm saying that this way. Privilege and blessing do not provide exemption from one's obedience to God. Number two. Moses, in his good behavior is an excellent illustration of the activity of faith. And the Hebrew writer uses the account of Moses in that regard. I'm going to read from Hebrews 11, 23 through 28. Hebrews 11, 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting 
pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he led Egypt. I'm sorry. By faith he left Egypt. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. So that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You know. Moses could have stayed right there in Egypt and had a pretty good life. Based on the earthly standards of the day. Moses could have stayed right there in Egypt, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He would have had education, <coughs> wealth, and privilege. It says here, the treasures of Egypt. But notice... How the writer describes his choice. The writer not only says he made the right choice, the writer describes it in these terms, which have to do with the Savior and the coming of the Savior. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So by faith he left Egypt. Now, that, that's not, as we have noted, just a physical movement or a geographic movement. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He left Egypt by faith, not afraid of the anger of the king. And so it says, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There's that face to face relationship referred to in our text in Deuteronomy. Moses illustrates, therefore, the activity of faith, leading all those people out of bondage into the desert, giving them God's law, preparing Joshua to lead the next generation into the promised land. Faith and its activity is illustrated and vividly demonstrated in the history of Moses leading the Israelites. Faith is generated within us as we absorb God's Word, as we process all the evidence God has provided, and then as we make that vital transition from belief to activity, knowing that salvation by faith alone has no reward but salvation by faith that obeys has great reward. Number three, in your service to the Lord and His people, you are not too old. I want you to imagine leading two million people. <laughs> Some of us some of us have trouble leading one. Imagine leading two million people through a desert for 40 years. And you were 80. Can you wrap your head around that? I, I don't know if arthritis was fully developed in the human race yet. 
I know there was no hip replacement surgery or cataract surgery or hearing aids or Medicare. What I know is God said to Moses and the people, you do what I say and I'll be with you. Now, there is the reality of not being able to do everything that you were able to do when you were 20 or 30. But there is no age where we are totally excused from reverence and duty to God. There are problems Christians face in their senior years, but there is no provision in the new covenant for spiritual retirement. We must do what we are able to do as long as we can and to the best of our ability, knowing that God has said to us as well as the Israelites, do what I say and I'll be with you. You know, we have people here who illustrate that excellence in serving God can be pursued with hardly a pause as they enter their senior years. Moses in Deuteronomy 34 is 120 years old and his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. In your service to the Lord and your service to the Lord's people, you are not too old. Deuteronomy 34, therefore, is a tribute to this man. Moses, as a leader of God's people. But on a higher level, every tribute to a servant of God should take us to gratitude and praise to God. God uses people who are imperfect as servants and leaders to lead people to his perfect will and plan to be engaged in obedience for life. I heard someone say this one time. The very young people may not, this may not ring a bell with them. You older folks can explain it to them. I heard someone say one time, I want to be more like Moses than Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston was an actor, a performer who, however good at his craft, was playing a part. Moses in the biblical story was a real man, imperfect like us, yet in his time of faithfulness to God, he becomes a remarkable example to us. Though we may not live to be 120, may we use our years on the earth to serve God to the best of our ability, to do better than we have in the past, perhaps now with a renewed determination to serve in ways that we haven't served before. Remembering our list of goals for this year, doing all to the glory of God. Let's be standing as we sing. My life to Thee, my prayer.